Acts chapter 8, as we're looking here at the first century church, we make note of, I believe, some important truths as we uh, come to chapter 8, that when the persecution arose uh, from, the St- uh, from the stoning of Stephen, we, uh, at, at the end of Acts chapter 7, at the beginning of chapter 8, we have a summary statement of what was going on in the first century church in Jerusalem. And notice in Acts 8, verse 1 through 4, the Bible says that Saul was consenting unto his death, that's Stephen's death, and at that time, so here is a summary statement of the church at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad, notice, throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria except the apostles. Up to this point, the evangelism had only taken place in Jerusalem around the Feast of Pentecost, and the preaching was in Jerusalem. And when the persecution arose, people were scattered. Judea would be the region beyond where the city of Jerusalem was, and Samaria would be northward uh, of where uh, Judea was. And they're scattered about because of great persecution. The Bible also says in verse 2 that devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. So there was not only great persecution in the church, there was great lamentation uh, at the stoning of Stephen, who, based upon our knowledge as we look at the book of Acts, the first martyr of the church. If we don't think about or don't include Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. After the ascension of Christ, Stephen stands as the first martyr of the church. And then, in verse 3 and 4, that the Bible says, And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So here's a summary statement about the church at that time. Great persecution, great lamentation, and the great commission. And I asked ourselves the question the last two messages. If we're going to be like the first century church, we have to ask ourselves this question. If we were today in the 21st century going through the same great persecution, and if someone in this congregation had died because of the persecution, I would imagine there would be great lamentation. But the question we have have to ask ourselves is this. Would we, in the same way, after being scattered, would we be preaching everywhere like they were? We have to ask ourselves that question. Now, it's difficult to answer that question because we're not in the same circumstances. But if they did that in those circumstances, how much more should we be doing what they did without the great lamentation and the great persecution? Acts chapter 8 is um, broken down into two sections. It's the ministry of Philip, who was one of the first deacons of the church. We see him elected in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter, halfway through chapter 6 and chapter 7, the Bible highlights the life of Stephen and his martyrdom. And Acts chapter 8 focuses on Philip and his ministry in, in two different locations. It's interesting, if you break those two ministries geographically, we see that as we dealt with the last two weeks, Philip went northward to Samaria because he was probably part of the group that was scattered and he preached in the city of Samaria and also to the different villages in Samaria but then his ministry would take him southward of Jerusalem on the way between Jerusalem and Gaza which would be southward in Judea 
If you look at a map of Israel from Jerusalem, it would be going to the direction of Egypt. If you know where the Gaza Strip is, between Jerusalem and Gaza, that journey took place, and that is where his ministry took him. And so northward and southward of Jerusalem, and we've looked at the ministry northward. Now we're looking at his ministry southward, and we pick it up in Acts chapter 8. Notice verse 26. Uh, look at the summary of verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, so here is a summary statement of the ministry in Samaria. And now we come to a different geographical location, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise. And go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now let's pause in just a moment and think about it. A great ministry is happening in Samaria. People are believing, being saved, being baptized, and they're going from village to village preaching Jesus Christ. And now Philip receives a message and he says, go to the desert. That's what the Bible says. Verse 27, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That should be music to our ears. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. As we think about Acts chapter 8, and we find two aspects of the ministry of Philip. One is... A public ministry that involved a lot of people, preaching to a lot of people. The other one is an individual encounter with one man. It is quite different. As we read this passage, we know that here Philip goes from preaching to crowds of people 
to instructing one man. And in the first part of the chapter, Philip, we find him in verse 5, was, is preaching in the city of Samaria. In verse 25, in the villages of the Samaritans. And all of a sudden now, Philip receives a message in verse 26 from the angel of the Lord. Then we are told in verse 29, The Spirit said unto Philip to go near to join himself to that chariot. Now, I want us to think here, before we go into the message, I want us to think about this thought. It is interesting to me to see that God spoke to Philip concerning a divine appointment after Philip had already been faithfully preaching in Samaria. Uh, and I believe here it is conceivable that Philip would not have been led of the Spirit to testify to the Ethiopian eunuch had he not already been faithfully preaching Christ. It is possible that God has not led us to divine appointments because we have not been obedient to the first basic assignment. Uh, the command of Christ was to go, remember, in Acts chapter 1, to the church was to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And the question we ask ourselves is this, would God send us on a special assignment if we were not obedient to the first command? You see, the Lord led Philip to go and to deal with one man. But before that, we find that Philip was faithfully preaching the word already. And I believe that we, often when we think we want the direction of God, we want God to work in us, we want God to speak to us on uh, perhaps divine appointments or specific tasks, but often God cannot do that, I believe, because we are not being faithful and obedient to what God has already given us to do. And as we look here at this, I would like to preach this morning a message that I have entitled, A Divine Appointment in the Desert. A divine appointment in the desert. The first part of Acts chapter 8 is Philip being obedient to the command of Christ. The second part of Acts chapter 8 is Philip receiving a divine appointment from God to go in the desert. Now what is interesting is as we look at this command, this uh, divine appointment, initially when uh, the Lord speaks to Philip, He says, Arise, go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And the Bible says in verse 27 that He arose and went. And I want us to pause here at the moment because Philip went to the desert not knowing he was going to meet someone. He obeyed the Lord to go, what the Lord said is, you're going to go to the desert. He didn't say you're going to go to meet a man. He said, go to the desert. And Philip arose and he went there. And when he gets there, he finds what this divine appointment is all about. Because he sees a man. Now, I believe it was not just a man. I believe it was a whole procession. It is evident that this man was a uh, a very important man in his uh, kingdom and look a little bit about him but we find here that Philip was found uh, as yielded to God and, and there's a lesson for us here before we go into the story again not only that obedience is found before divine appointments but also we see here that uh, Philip in his ministry he was sensitive to the leading of the Lord here's what I mean aren't things going well in Samaria? Of course they are. 
We've just read that people are believing and people are getting baptized and they're going from village to village. They're preaching Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden God speaks to Philip and says, I want you to go somewhere else. And it would seem to us that, wait a minute, there's a whole lot going on here. Why would Philip go to the desert? And yet Philip did. You know what that tells us? He was sensitive to the leading of the Lord in his life. And as believers, we all need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God who speaks to us. And by the way, God will always speak to us, always in accordance to His Word. Sometimes people say, well, God spoke to me and He told me to do this. And often it goes against Scripture. And I say to you, God didn't tell you to do that. Uh, we must always examine the leading and the prompting of the Spirit of God in our lives in light of what the Scripture already says. I want you to notice here the tenor of what was going on. This Ethiopian eunuch, according to verse 28, was returning and sitting in his chariot. So he is moving and sitting. Uh, so that means he was riding here as we read in a chariot. We, we read even in verse 30 that Philip ran thither to him. So when Philip got to the desert place, he saw this procession and he saw, if you would, the Ethiopian eunuch in his chair moving along. That's why he ran. Uh, he had to catch up with them. And we read later on uh, when uh, Philip asked the question in verse 31, he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So as the chariot keeps going, he says, hey, come along. And so Philip is going to join him in his chariot. We, knew, we know that they're moving along. Verse 36 says, and as they went on their way. So they're going through this conversation. Philip is preaching Jesus to him. The procession is still going. The chariot is still riding. We also look at verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. So that means that, right, they were still going on their journey. And then the eunuch sees a body of water there. And he says, what does hinder me to be baptized? And so we know that they stopped the chariots there. And after he was baptized, in verse 39 at the end, he says, he went on his way rejoicing. So we find here, this is a very interesting story for us and we're going to look at the details of uh, this account for us in just a moment I, we read about here this Ethiopian eunuch and there are several things that we know about this man who was headed back to the country uh, from Jerusalem uh, we ask ourselves here why first of all was this Ethiopian man in Jerusalem in the first place the Bible says that he came to worship in Jerusalem he was from another country, but yet he had come to Jerusalem to worship there. Now, Ethiopia was the name given by the Greeks for the ancient Cushite uh, uh, kingdom located south of Egypt, uh, which is probably today northern Sudan. Uh, Moses, if you remember, married an Ethiopian woman in Numbers chapter 12. Uh, Sheba, we know, was related to Cush. And the queen of Sheba went to see Solomon. We read that in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 9, in 1 Kings chapter 10, and in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, we read about those things. And so uh, although we, we read about in the Old Testament about Ethiopia, and people went to go to Solomon and to hear about his wisdom, uh, it is uh, evident that somehow they brought something back to Ethiopia. And here we have a Ethiopian eunuch who headed, who, who's headed to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and headed back to his home country. And so he knows enough to bring him to Jerusalem, but he doesn't know enough to be saved. Scripture mentions that in the book of Isaiah, the Jews lived in Ethiopia as well. And so it is possible that one of his parents was a Jew. That's conceivable. It is obvious in our passage that this man had 
some knowledge of the one true and living God. If he did not have that knowledge, he would not have been in Jerusalem. This knowledge obviously brought him to Jerusalem uh, to worship. And we learn a little bit about his position in society. In verse 27, the Bible says, A man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopia, uh, who had the charge of all the treasure. So the Bible says that this man was of, of great authority he apparently had been entrusted with the treasure that belonged to the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, this man was such that he had great wealth, great authority in the land of Ethiopia. It was certain a remarkable testimony that this man would go all the way to Jerusalem to worship God. So this man we know is searching for something. He feels a responsibility to worship God, to observe the feast, to go to Jerusalem, which is the place uh, throughout Israel's history of, of God's dwelling in the tabernacle and the temple. And so we see here this, this man of great authority. We also see that he was seeking for something. The, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship. This man was seeking for something. And his seeking, I believe, demonstrates... That he had a possession of the scriptures. If you notice here when Philip comes up to him. He hears them reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so we don't know obviously how he had the scriptures. But he had the scriptures probably as it was most commonly known in that day. A portion of scripture. Not the entirety. But a portion of the Old Testament. And he's reading right from Isaiah. What we have today. Isaiah 53. He's reading from that as Philip comes up to him. And so he is searching the scriptures. He is looking for answers. It is interesting to me that a man of great authority and such wealth and such position in society, that those are things that not bring satisfaction to him. He was searching for something more. Certainly, this man is fully aware that there is something beyond this life because he is searching the scriptures. You see, possessing a copy in that day meant... An expensive purchase. On his way home, this man had paused, if you would, on this journey to read from the prophet Isaiah. Evidently, he had not been satisfied by whatever religious observance he had done in Jerusalem. It hadn't satisfied him. He was still searching the scriptures. And yet here, as we read in verse 31, uh, when he's reading from Isaiah in verse 30, Philip asks him the question, understandest what thou readest? And he said, how can I, except some man should guide me? And what we know about this Ethiopian eunuch, although he was a man of great authority, of power, he was certainly a man who commanded others around. In this particular instance, he submits himself in this divine appointment to someone who can guide him in the scriptures. You see, I really believe that there are no one, no one that can come truly to a saving knowledge of Christ until there is some form of humility or submission in them that says, I'm willing for someone to teach me what the Word of God says. This man, by the way, was the one who invited Philip to come in and sit with him. Philip just asked the question, but the eunuch was the one who invited him to come in. He wanted someone... To give an explanation of the scriptures, he was completely submitted to the teaching of Philip. Verse 34 tells us 
The eunuch answered and Philippi say, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? That's a great question. He said, when Isaiah wrote, wrote this, was he talking about himself? Or, or was he writing about somebody else? Well, Philip, the Bible says, is going to preach unto him Jesus. That's who that was about. You see, we also see that the Ethiopian eunuch, upon his profession of faith in Christ, he did not hesitate to submit himself to the waters of baptism. It is a good, it is a good indication that someone has believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that immediately upon the profession of faith, they want to identify publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. It communicates again their submission, their willingness to submit to the Word of God. But let's look in a little while at Philip here because Philip is known here as an evangelist who met this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Philip spoke as a man here evidently full of the Holy Ghost. Philip was chosen to be a servant, a deacon in the church in Acts chapter 6. But he was also an evangelist which tells us here that you see as we read in the first century church the Bible just doesn't tell us about uh, Peter and Paul, uh, right? Uh, Peter, the apostle to the Jews, and Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. No, it highlights the life of men in the church who weren't necessarily those in positions of leadership, but they were simply servants in the church. Stephen was one of them, preached a great message, and Philip was another one of those men who was also a preacher in the first part of Acts chapter 8, and in the second part who was a great uh, instructor in the Scriptures. You see, evangelism is the responsibility of every believer. Let me say that again. Evangelism is the responsibility of every believer. If you remember at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we read that when the persecution arose, all the believers were scattered about outside of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. The Bible says, except the apostles. And so God lets us know, that the people who were involved in evangelism in the first century, in the case of Acts chapter 8 in Samaria and Judea, was everybody else in the church except the apostles. Now I'm sure that the apostles were involved in evangelism as we've seen in the first six chapters of Acts. But the point that God is making is that every believer was an evangelist. And may that be a challenge to all of us. We know that Philip was definitely, according to verse 27, he was sensitive towards the leading of the Lord, the prompting of God in his life. You see, Philip was going to engage with, with one man. Again and again we see the value uh, throughout the scriptures, not only in the life of Christ, but also in the life of the apostles. There's not only the ministry to crowds, but there's also the ministry to individuals. Uh, we, would, we would refer to this as a personal encounter, the personal evangelism of Philip towards the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Philip most likely um, never preached perhaps in the church like Peter preached or on the day of Pentecost, but we see him sent out in Samaria and preaching the word and having this individual encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, he uh, we read in verse 29, The Spirit said unto him, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. You see, Philip was attentive and obedient uh, to the Lord. Philip arose when the angel of the Lord spoke to him. Philip joined himself to the eunuch at the direction of the Spirit of God. Has God ever spoken to your heart and said, 
hey, there's someone over here. How about you go witness to him? Has it happened? And by the way, even if it doesn't happen, we should still do it. That's the command, isn't it? But I do believe that there are particular times when the Spirit moves in our hearts and lives and say, I want you to go and talk to this person. And we should be found obedient, not only to the command of Christ, but also to the prompting and the direction of the Spirit of God in our lives. Remember, Philip was northward in Samaria, and he would now go southward in Judea. So this would take Philip on a journey of about 80 miles. That's before the cars and the scooters and the planes and the, you know, uh, Amtrak and all those things. And so this is a long journey. And furthermore, it was not a populated place because God led him to a desert place. There would be no great crowds waiting for Philip uh, to to hear him preach. There was one man in need of someone to explain the word of God to him. So, as we look at the dynamic of Acts chapter 8... God is certainly interested in all men. But that also means that God is interested in individuals. Because crowds don't get saved, individuals get saved. And here there is one man that is highlighted in the scriptures for us. We see here that he was a servant in ministry. And by the way, when we think about... Uh, often we, we try to define success and we God chooses to point out one man. As I mentioned, many believers were scattered. We read that in Acts chapter 8 at the beginning. And so many other believers were involved in witnessing and preaching but Philip. But God chooses to, to show us the life of Philip and his ministry. And uh, it shows us here that as he's preaching to one man, he's gone away from the crowd. And we learn here that the true success in the life of the Christian, is going to be found in obedience to the Lord. You see, he goes from preaching to crowds, a bunch of people, to one man. And we may think in our earthly mindset, well, in Samaria, Philip is successful. Look at all the people that believe. But in the desert, he was not successful. There was just one man. No, that's not success. Success is not found in the greatness of the ministry of the amount of people that you impact. Success is found in simple obedience to Christ. And this led Philip here to the desert place. It is evident here that Philip was a a servant in ministry. He, He ran, in verse 30, to meet this Ethiopian eunuch and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. You see, Philip even, he began the conversation by asking him a a question. Although this Ethiopian here, as we've read, is of great status, Philip sat with this man as this man invited him into his chariot and he read and then he explained to him the scriptures. Notice verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. Now let's talk about this specific passage that he was reading here because we, we know a little bit about uh, this Ethiopian eunuch and his background. We, we know about Philip and I would consider him a great man of God, not because he in himself is great, but because what God is doing in his life is great. We don't ever take the credit for what God does in our lives. It's all of God. 
But notice here the message here, or the explanation that Philip's give as we read, notice in verse 32. And this is where I, I want us to spend a little bit of time. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip. And so you, you see here he's reading this. And Philip is sitting right beside him. And as he's reading this, he's asking them a question because he genuinely doesn't know. And the question is quite simple. He says, who is this prophet speaking about? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about some other man? Now, Philip in verse 35 opened his mouth and began at the same scriptures and preached unto him Jesus. So obviously he's preaching here. He's going to, the Bible says, he began at the same scripture. Now what is that for us? That's Isaiah 53. Let's go there to Isaiah 53 and turn in our Old Testament to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, and uh, let us try to put ourselves in the shoes of Philip here and this Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53. And I don't know... If you've ever experienced that, but I'm sure that if you ever met someone who was just sitting on the bench somewhere and reading their Bible and reading from Isaiah 53, you say, oh man, that's a good place to read. And so here, probably Philip is excited about what's being read, and we come to Isaiah 53, and notice what the Bible says in this chapter that um, he is reading, and, and notice here, when Philip came, he was already reading from Isaiah. When Philip is in the chariot, he continues reading from Isaiah, but he's further on in the chapter, but that means he's read the first part of the chapter. Notice the first part of the chapter. Who have believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes... We are healed. Now just pause for a minute. I know we know who this is about, but let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of the Ethiopian eunuch. He's had this book, evidently. He's reading from it, and we're talking about someone who is despised, someone who is going to go through sorrow, someone who is going to bear somebody else's grief, someone who is going to carry somebody else's sorrow, someone who is going to be smitten of God. Someone... By whom men are healed. He's reading this and he says, Is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about some other man? Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him. The Ethiopian is, who's the M? Is it Isaiah or is it some other man? 
On Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before His shearers is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. This Ethiopian eunuch, again, came from Jerusalem. What was Jerusalem? Remember, it's the place where, where people used to bring their sacrifices. They would bring their spotless lambs and they would be offered as a sacrifice for what? Uh, to receive forgiveness of sin and would picture the one, the Lamb of God who would come one day and he, he is familiar with the practice of bringing a lamb as an offering for the sin of the people and he knows that the high priest once a year uh, would offer a lamb uh, and, uh, and come to God, present the blood of the lamb that was offered on the brazen altar and he would take the blood of that lamb he would sprinkle it on his vesture and then he would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer an atonement for the sin of the people. And so certainly the Ethiopian eunuch is familiar with those things. He's been in Jerusalem, evidently. He went there habitually. But here we're not talking about a lamb. We're talking about a man who is offered as a lamb to the slaughter. And this particular man... Did not open his mouth. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut out, uh, cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. If we read through Isaiah, what do we read about? We read here evidently, all we like sheep have gone astray, we read about the sinfulness of man. That the sin of man has been placed on somebody else. The transgression of man has been born by somebody else who is innocent, who is not guilty. We read in verse 6, Notice, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading, and Philip has an opportunity to explain to him, and he's going to explain to this man that uh, we're all sinners. We've all gone astray. Uh, we, we are all like like sheep who have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. That is man. You remember in Luke chapter 5 verse 32, Jesus Christ said, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The Ethiopian eunuch has been doing his religious duty. He's gone up to Jerusalem. He has probably participated in the feast and the offerings and the things that uh, the, the Jews would participate in. And he has been participating in those things. And yet now he, is, he comes face to face to the fact that he is one of those who have gone astray. He is one of those who had turned to his own way. As the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
every single person who has ever lived. This preacher also up here preaching this word. We've all sinned and we all come short of the glory of God. And that's why Isaiah chapter 53 tells us. But then notice immediately after we see that we've all sinned and gone astray. The Bible says, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We read several portions in this text. In verse 5, the Bible says, He has despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We read in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We're talking about whoever this person is that is described in Isaiah 53. The Ethiopian eunuch says, well, who is this about? Who, who is Isaiah speaking of? Is he speaking of himself or is he speaking of some other man? And Philip is going to give him the, the answer he needs. In verse 35 of Acts chapter 8, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's exactly what Philip had done in Acts chapter 8 when he was in Samaria. He preached Christ to bewitched people who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is preaching Jesus to the, this Ethiopian eunuch right out of the pages of Isaiah 53. And the Bible says that he began in the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So I don't know how long this went. But he began in Isaiah 53 and that means he went beyond that. He began there and he continued. And by the way, at that time, uh, can I say, there was no New Testament at that time. So the only uh, scripture that he used, and perhaps if the eunuch only had Isaiah, he perhaps just used the book of Isaiah. Or if he had other portions of the Old Testament, he went all throughout the Old Testament, which shows us that the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. It is not just a New Testament doctrine. It is an Old Testament doctrine that the just shall live by faith. And so we find that he goes to the Old Testament and he preaches from the Old Testament, Jesus. Now, we have the record of Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. We don't have the record of Philip's sermon in Samaria. We don't have the record of Philip's sermon here with the Ethiopian eunuch. I wish I could have been, I guess, a fly on the wall. And listen to Philip interact with the Ethiopian eunuch. Because I want to know how he witnessed him from the Old Testament. Just to hear. So we don't know what was said. We don't know any questions that went, that went beyond this point. But this is the next thing that happens, uh, happens in Acts chapter 8. Uh, notice in verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me? To be baptized. Now, evidently, he had talked about baptism. I don't know how that came up in the conversation, but we know what he did. He preached Jesus. Now, what did Jesus say? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. And so, here, somehow, Philip got to the area of baptism, and he says, okay, well, well, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Now, believe what? Well, he preached Jesus. He preached Jesus from what? Well, we know he began in Isaiah 53, which is all about someone who would bear the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 is about the one who would be bruised for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And so God has a plan for man. And obviously Philip has explained that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, God has a plan for mankind. And that plan is a plan of redemption whereby God wants to reconcile man back to himself because man, according to the book of Ephesians, is dead in his trespasses and sins. But he can be reconciled to God once the enemy of God. Now he can be reconciled to God through who? Jesus Christ. Earlier in this book of Acts we read of Peter's preaching. And the Sanhedrin council said to Peter, You cannot teach or preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And you remember what Peter said? He said, There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name in whom salvation is found. It is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells in the book of Colossians that uh, Jesus Christ, as He died on the cross, He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, nailing it to His cross, and He took it out of the way. The sin has been taken out of the way when Jesus Christ died on the cross. He says all those prophecies... As he's talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what Jesus Christ did. It was not too long ago that Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life in this world. His public ministry was three and a half years. He walked a perfect and a sinless life. He declared himself to be the Son of God. He said before Abraham was, I am. He said, I and my Father are one. And the Jews again and again, they tried to stone him. They tried to rid themselves of him. But when the fullness of the time was come, and it was appointed for Jesus Christ to die, we read that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he went to meet those who would betray him. He offered himself. No one took his life away from him. He offered himself. Why? Because this was part of the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God in his mind had a plan that one day Jesus Christ would come, and he would die for the sins of the world. And Isaiah 53 is talking about that man, and his name is Jesus. I don't know what his name is so I'll just call him the Ethiopian eunuch but I would imagine Philip said Jesus died for your sins he was bruised for your iniquities the chastisement of your peace was upon him and with his stripes you can be healed your sins can be blotted out and for the first time you can understand what all of these sacrifices in the Old Testament are about, it's pointing us to Jesus Christ, who is, according to John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ come, 
He says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. He came to take away the sin of the world. And so, Philip says, What doth hinder me to be baptized? What does that mean? Again, regeneration, the new birth, does not happen at baptism. It is not part of salvation. Even Paul himself said, I came, I, I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism is not part of the gospel. It is separated. But baptism is the logical first step of obedience when someone believes. And so he says, what does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, well, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And he answered, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, again, this is profession, but I believe the Ethiopian already believed in his heart. He just said, this is what I believe. That's why he already wanted to be baptized. He says, well, is there, is there anything that would prevent me from getting baptized? And Philip says, if you believe. And he says, I believe. So, the eunuch was like, stop everything. Stop, stop. I don't know how long the procession was. He didn't have a radio. But I would imagine there was some excitement in his voice. And he says, everybody stop. Stop everything. The Bible says, And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, important here, just a side note about baptism. The word baptize means to dunk, to plunge, to immerse. Sprinkling is not baptism. Baptism itself, the word itself means to dunk, to plunge, to immerse. To sprinkle means to sprinkle. To baptize means to baptize. That's why they had to go in the water. He didn't grab a cup from the body of water and pour it on top of him. They both went into the water. The water was sitting there. They were both, both their bodies were in the water and perhaps crossing their bodies. A full body of water. And the Bible says, notice, he baptized him. That means he dunked him. He plunged him. He buried him. That's what the word baptized means. He buried him. And when they were come up out of the water, not a pouring, but a coming out of, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. Well, what's the importance of baptism? Well, the eunuch says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to make what I believe in my heart, I want to make that public. The eunuch is on a procession heading back to his country as a chief officer in the courts of Sheba, the queen of Ethiopia, or Candace it was. Sheba was the one in the Old Testament, Candace. And he's going to show to everybody that he's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. As the water crosses your body, it represents the death of Christ. And as Philip buries and dunks the Ethiopian under the water, it represents the death of Christ. And as they bring, he brings the Ethiopian eunuch out of the water, it represents the resurrection of Christ, as Romans chapter 6 tells us. We are buried with Him. In other words, it is the manifestation of what has happened in our lives spiritually. Buried with Him by baptism into death. That lie, and, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And the Ethiopian eunuch made a public... Uh, 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 publicly testified of his faith in Christ 
by going through the waters of baptism and publicly identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 39, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. Now, this is not the end for Philip. We actually turn the page over. Now, by the way, at the end of the verse, and he went on his way rejoicing. Well, yeah, he's been reading Isaiah and he doesn't know who that was about. And Philip told him who that was about. And I'm telling you, if you're not a born-again Christian today, you're going to be confused about religion, but as soon as you know who Jesus Christ is, and you know what He did for you, that He died to pay for your sin debt, and that you can be reconciled to God through Christ, you will leave this place rejoicing too. Because why? Because to know Christ means to know that your sins have been completely wiped away. Never to be remembered again. We read in verse 40, Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So basically, Philip resumes what he was doing before. But that particular appointment was a divine appointment in the desert. But that divine appointment, I believe, God led Philip in because he was obedient to the command of Christ. You know, I think as believers, we all want to be challenged. We all want God to speak to us, to move us, to... To speak to us, to lead us in a particular direction. But I really believe with all my heart that God's not going to lead us until we are first obedient in the things that we know we're supposed to do. And God will give us divine appointments as we are already submitted to Him. So may the Lord help us with that to be, as Philip, uh, to be faithful in those divine appointments.